From Brennan to the Boca Chill, from Lamy to La Push, and from the lordly Sawduck to lovely Duckabush. From Samish to Sammamish, Suquamish to Quillacine, the climate is so friendly, it's a land that's evergreen. Hello, and welcome to the History of the Evergreen State podcast. I'm your host, John C., and thank you for joining me today for episode 39, George Wildcat Wilson. From 1923 to 1925, George Wilson was a member of the University of Washington football team. He was a 60-minute player who ran, passed, caught passes, punted, and played linebacker on defense. Wilson would be awarded the Flaherty Award as the team's most inspirational player in 1925 by his fellow teammates. They won 28 games, lost three, were tied three times, and went to the Rose Bowl twice during his three years spent with the Huskies. Wilson, along with Illinois' Red Grange and Stanford's Ernie Nevers, were named to Grantland Rice's 1925 All-American backfield. Wilson dabbled in the difficult world of professional football in the late 1920s before his life began a downward spiral. In 1963, he was a longshoreman who died alone and broke. Many people consider George Wilson to be the best football player to ever suit up at the University of Washington. George Wilson was born in Everett on the 6th of October, 1901. He started guard for the undefeated Everett High Seagulls football team as a freshman, which was coached by former UW football player Enoch Begshaw. Wilson was moved to halfback in 1918, and the squad went undefeated in 1919. That 19-team faced Scott High School of Toledo, Ohio, and the game ended up in a draw, with both teams claiming that they had won the National High School Championship. The Everett Seagulls felt that they had something great by October of 1920. High schools were not immune to the freelance sports advertising of the time. Begshaw offered Salt Lake City's East High School $2,500 to play Everett High and Everett on Thanksgiving Day. As a warm-up, Everett won 20-0 against the University of Washington's freshman squad, 19-0 against St. Martin's College, and 28-0 against Long Beach High School in California. The Dallas High School, Oregon's high school champions, were their next opponent. Everett and Wilson won the Washington-Oregon Interstate Championship by a whopping score of 90-7. to That's right, 90-7. to Everett then went on to defeat Salt Lake's East High School 67-0 on Thanksgiving Day of 1920. Everett High was now being challenged to a national championship game by a number of Eastern schools. On the 1st of January 1921, East Technical High School of Cleveland, Ohio signed on to play in Everett. Everett trounced them by a score of 16-7 and was named national champions, resulting in the University of Washington naming Enoch Begshaw as its next coach. Begshaw had no problems in recruiting seven of Everett's players to play for him at the University of Washington, including George Wilson, the team's outstanding halfback. In his book, Bow Down to Washington, Dick Rockney tells the story of Torchy Torrance, a diehard Washington fan. Following high school graduation, four Everett athletes boarded a train bound for Purdue University in Indiana. I went down to Portland and took him off the train and brought him back, Torchy says. One of the four was Wilson. Wilson was a 60-minute player during his entire career. A player would only be forced to leave due to injury or tiredness. 
Begshaw's Washington teams ran from a short punt position with Wilson, the tailback, handling the ball on nearly every play. He moved quickly and powerfully. And Steve Rudman and Karen Chave's excellent history of Washington football, 100 years of Husky football, Jack Keene has quoted, For 50 years, Keene worked as a statistician for the University of Washington football team, witnessing nearly all of their big moments. Wilson was swift and quick, says Keene, and because these players didn't play with the kind of equipment later curated, he got beaten a lot. He was, nonetheless, completely fearless. There's never been another like him. I remember one occasion he knocked five men clear off their feet with his stiff arm, Harold Patton, one of Wilson's teammates later remembered. George Wilson scored 37 touchdowns during his time at the UW, which is still a school record that stands to this day. When he was initially called upon to punt, the ball traveled 55 yards from the line of scrimmage. Wilson was a true 3-in-1 player. In addition, the hard-hitting Wilson, along with teammate Elmer Tesro, played linebacker and spearheaded the defense. Wilson's 34-game career at the University of Washington had 18 shutouts and only 5 games in which the Husky defense allowed 10 or more points. Wilson dealt out punishing play after play as a linebacker, while on offense, he was in charge of the ball for the majority of the time. Wilson was singled out by opposing defenders who attempted to punish him, but it never went according to their plan. Wilson's game was a non-stop barrage of brutal and oftentimes violent collisions. Wilson's sophomore year, the Washington Huskies faced the USC Trojans for the first game in the year. It was the first sellout in the history of Husky Stadium, as well as the first radio broadcast of a University of Washington football game. Wilson scored the opening touchdown for Washington on the ground. Later, he returned a USC punt 72 yards, which led to a field goal by Washington. The win by UW, 22-0, was a foreshadowing of things to come. The 1923 Huskies won 10 games, with the exception of a 9-0 loss to the California Golden Bears. Washington was then chosen to play in the Rose Bowl for the first time in the school's history. They were up against a very formidable Navy squad. On a 23-yard rush, Wilson scored Washington's first touchdown. Late in the game, he caught a 25-yard catch from Fred Abel to set up a 2-foot-wide field goal attempt. The score was a 14-14 tie at the end of the game. Washington's defense, led by Wilson, allowed only 24 points and shut out six opponents during the 1924 season. Tying against California, Wilson punted from the end zone and hit the crossbar of his own goalpost, causing a loss to the hated University of Oregon Ducks. Oregon rallied for a touchdown for a 7-3 victory, the only loss for Washington for that entire season. These were the days when the goalposts were on the goal line. Washington finished the season with an impressive 8-1-1 record. In 1925, Wilson was a senior. Following a 108-0 win over Willamette College, the Huskies played their first game east of the Rockies, tying the Nebraska Cornhuskers 6-6. Washington kept on rolling, scoring 480 points and topping the country in scoring for the second year in a row. The major game came against Stanford's Indians, led by Glenn Pop Warner and their brilliant All-American Ernie Nevers. Wilson threw a 26-yard touchdown throw to George Gatormson, a former Everett High teammate. Stanford had a first down at the UW 9-yard line in the third quarter and was driving for the tying touchdown. Tailback Nevers faced off against linebacker Wilson in a classic matchup. Nevers carried the ball three times to the Washington 4-yard line. 
The game was hanging in the balance for everyone in the stadium. You could hear a pin drop, Ray Ekman said of the site. The signals were being called all throughout the stadium. Nevers carried again, but was held to no gain. Wilson and Tess Rowe hit the Stanford All-American so hard that he was knocked out. Nevers ultimately returned, though, and he and Wilson eventually departed the field exhausted. Elmer Tesro returned an interception 62 yards for a touchdown late in the fourth quarter, and the University of Washington won by a score of 13-0. Some detractors have referred to Begshaw's squad as dumb as they continued to rack up victories. It wasn't apparent whether they were talking about schoolwork or football knowledge. The Stanford coach, the famous Pop Warner, addressed the problem in his own front-page essay in the Seattle P.I. the day after the game. Washington deserved to win today since they didn't make any errors. I've seen them play this year and have seen no evidence of stupidity. Washington had been invited to the Rose Bowl for the second time in just three years. The Rose Bowl was college football's sole bowl game until the mid-1930s. The concept was to pit the finest in the West against the best in the East. Dartmouth, Princeton, and even Colgate, the Eastern champs, all declined the invitation. Washington, too, declined. The Washington players did not want to be away from their families for yet another Christmas. The Crimson Tide of Alabama eagerly accepted a Rose Bowl invitation, becoming the first Southern team to do so. This was the game that established the South as a football powerhouse. The UW players ultimately consented to participate after three ballots. The setting was set for what many considered to be the best Rose Bowl game ever, as well as one of the top ten football games of all time. It pitted George Wilson, an All-American, against Johnny Mac Brown, an absolute legend from Alabama. Wilson intercepted an Alabama pass in the first quarter, and Washington marched for a touchdown. Wilson ran 26 yards from punt formation in the second quarter and then threw a 26-yard touchdown pass to George Gatormson. Both extra points were missed by Washington's kicker, though. The second attempt was blocked by the crossbar. Wilson ran again for 26 yards from punt formation in the second quarter and then threw a 26-yard touchdown pass to George Gatormson. At halftime, the University of Washington was up 12-0 on the scoreboard. George Wilson, the Washington team slashing back, was splashing the Crimson Tide at will, Damon Runyon reported for the national press. Then he was injured. Wilson got knocked out in the second quarter and didn't come back until the fourth. Alabama rallied to score 20 points in a row with Wilson riding the bench. When Wilson returned to the game, Bama was on the move once more. At Washington's 12, the Huskies stopped the Crimson Tide. Wilson threw a 20-yard touchdown pass to John Cole. However, it was too little and too late. Alabama won by a score of 20-19. to George Wilson's legend was confirmed by the Rose Bowl statistics. Washington gained 317 yards and scored 19 points with Wilson on the field. While Wilson was sitting on the bench for 22 minutes, Washington only gained 17 yards and Alabama scored all 20 of their points while the UW scored zero. Wilson kindly informed reporters after the heartbreaking loss that Mac Brown was all they said of him and more. Wilson was dubbed one of the finest players of this or any era by Damon Runyon following the game. He was a one-man football team, he added. Runyon should know because he witnessed all of the era's greats. Grantland Rice, a well-known sports journalist, selected the All-American football teams at the time. Wilson was chosen to join Red Grange of Illinois and Ernie Nevers of Stanford in the backfield. The greatest player to emerge from the Northwest was finally recognized by the rest of the country. 
Wilson ran wild against a defense that was stacked against him. As a linebacker, he delivered brutal hits throughout the game. The equipment available at the time did not give the same level of protection as it does today. Muscle and bone were pitted against muscle and bone. Great players persevered in the face of adversity and injury. George Wilson, astonishingly, played the entire 1925 season and the Rose Bowl at less than half his strength. Wilson was inducted into the National Football Foundation Hall of Fame in 1951, and according to his biography, he played his senior season while suffering from a gastrointestinal condition that limited his food intake. Wilson, according to other stories, played the entire season with shattered ribs and pneumonia. George went to Alaska in the summer of 1925 and earned considerable money with the fishing fleet. Torchy Torrance later said he returned with a severe social ailment. Every now and then he'd have to drop out of the game for a minute or two while he threw up, Torrance added. Wilson's achievements in 1925 are all the more amazing given his physical state. George Wilson, like many football players of that or any era, was not a diligent student. Following the 1925 season, he pulled out right before the Rose Bowl of 1926. How was he going to support himself? Professional football was still very much in its infancy. After the 1925 collegiate season, Charles Cash and Carey Pyle, the sport's first large promoter, signed Redgrange to a hefty deal to play a series of games on a barnstorming tour. George Wilson was offered $1,000 to play against Red at Tampa on New Year's Day, the Seattle PI reported the day after the Rose Bowl. Wilson would decline the offer, however. Promoters would later approach Wilson and offer him $500 to play a pair of games against Grange and his traveling All-Stars, who were now being known as the Chicago Bears. On the 16th of January, 1926, the inaugural game was held in Los Angeles. The match between Grange and Wilson, two All-Americans, drew a crowd of over 70,000 spectators. Wilson smacked Red Grange in the face on the opening kickoff. Wilson had 128 yards to Redgrange's 30, but the Chicago Bears won 17-7. The galloping ghost of Illinois was certainly outshone, Damon Runyon went on to report. To make ends meet, most players at the time needed full-time jobs. George Wilson signed a professional contract with the Akron Professionals, one of 22 clubs in the inaugural Professional League in 1926. Half of the league's team, including Akron, went out of business within a year. In 1927 and 1928, George was a member of the Providence Steamrollers. On the Green Bay Gazette's All-Pro team for 1928, he was listed as Wildcat Wilson. The Great Depression was just around the corner and pro football would not be financially lucrative until the 1950s when television was introduced. Wilson arrived at a pretty inopportune time. To make a living, he turned to professional wrestling. It had been a difficult existence. In 1935, his wife divorced him. The effects of the alcohol were starting to show. He traveled to Australia as part of a professional wrestling tour, and when he returned to the United States, he discovered that he was unable to take his money out of Australia due to an act of Australian legislation. Therefore, he was broke when he returned to the States. Wilson informed a California newspaper reporter in 1936 that he had been promised money to play in the 1926 Rose Bowl by the University of Washington, but he had not been paid. The claim was met with surprise and outrage by ex-teammates, the school, and the local Seattle press. Wilson's charges were never supported by evidence, and the case would ultimately be dismissed. Wilson was hired by a friend to work in the oil fields in Texas, but when his buddy died, Wilson returned to the West Coast. During the Second World War, he worked in the Everett shipyards. 
when he discovered he had been inducted into the College Football Foundation Hall of Fame in 1951, he was on the verge of obscurity, living alone, and working as a longshoreman in San Francisco. The University of Washington's return to prominence as a collegiate football powerhouse was marked by the 1960 Rose Bowl. The Wisconsin Badgers were trounced 44-8 by Jim Owens' team. The Seattle Post-Intelligencer's Royal Brom went to the effort of inviting George Wilson to the Husky locker room celebration after the game. An enthusiastic comment from George Wilson was published in a P.I. story. Believe me, it made me feel good when some of the people I met indicated they'd heard of George Wilson. You have no idea how much of a boost that provides an old gray-haired guy when he realizes he hasn't been forgotten. Wilson was chosen to the all-time Pacific Coast team in 1969 in addition to being named to the All-American team in 1925 and being inducted into the Hall of Fame in 1951. His jersey number, 33, is one of three that the University of Washington has retired over the years. His status as one of the greatest Washington Huskies of all time, if not the greatest, has not faded with the passage of time. It is important that he not be forgotten, and he never will be. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a 5-star review and don't forget to subscribe so that you never miss a new episode. Sources for this episode include Bow Down to Washington by Dick Rockney, 1975, 100 Years of High School Football by Karen Chave and Steve Rudman, 1990, George Wilson by Ron Richardson at HistoryLink.org, The Seattle Post-Intelligencer, The Seattle Times, and the University of Washington Libraries. Thank you for listening to Episode 39, George Wildcat Wilson. Episode 40 will be released next week and will be focused on the early development of public utilities in Tacoma with a, per- with a particular emphasis on the Tacoma Light and Water Company. A special thanks goes out to Alan Hirsch for providing the music for the podcast. If you have any questions about the show, please contact historyoftheevergreenstatepod at gmail.com. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of the History of the Evergreen State Podcast. And until next time, I'm your host, John C. Stay safe out there, everyone. There's peace on the Skokomish, on the Queets and on the Hoe. There's calm on the Nisqually, born of ageless ice and snow. A land that nature loves so much, she stays the whole year round. I trade a royal palace for a shack on Puget Sound. There's Chimicum and Stillicum, where spouts the gooey duck, the singing Stillaguamish and the swirling Skookum Chuck, and Moclips and Copalis, where the razor clams abound. A little bit of heaven is a shack on Puget Sound. A little bit of heaven is a shock on Puget Sound.